Chapter twenty six of the Crown of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Crown of Life by George Gissing. Chapter twenty six. Olga knew that by her mother's death she became penniless. The income enjoyed by Mrs. Hannaford under the will of her sister in America was only for life. By allowing a third of it to her husband, she had made saving impossible, and as she left no will, her daughter could expect only such trifles as might legally fall to her share when things were settled. To her surviving parent, the girl was of course no more than a stranger. It surprised no one that Lee Hannaford, informed through the lawyers of what had happened, simply kept silence, leaving his wife's burial to the care of Dr. Derwent. Three days of gloom went by. The funeral was over. Irene and her cousins sat together in their mourning apparel, not simply possessed by natural grief, but overcome with the nervous exhaustion which results from our habits and customs in presence of death. Olga had been miserably crying, but was now mute and still. Irene, pale with an expression of austere thoughtfulness, spoke of the subject they both had in mind. There is no necessity to take any step at all, until you are quite yourself again, until you really wish. This is your home. My father would like you to stay. I couldn't live here after you're married, replied the other, weakly, despondently. Irene glanced at her, hung a moment on the edge of speech, and then spoke with a self-possession which made her seem many years older than her cousin. I had better tell you now that we may understand each other. I'm not going to be married." To Olga's voiceless astonishment she answered with a pale smile. Grave again, and gentle as she was firm, Irene continued, "'I'm going to break my engagement. It's been a mistake. Tonight I shall write a letter to Mr. Jacks, saying that I cannot marry him. When it has been sent, I shall tell my father.' Olga had begun to tremble. Her features were disturbed with an emotion which banished every sign of sorrow, which flushed her cheeks and made her eyes seem hostile in their fixed stare. "'How can you do that?' she asked in a hard voice. "'How is it possible?' "'It seems to me far more possible than the alternative, a life of repentance.' Oh, "'But what do you mean, Irene, when everything is settled, when your house is taken, when everyone knows?' What do you mean? Why shall you do this?" The words rushed forth impetuously, quivering on a note of resentment. The flushed cheeks were turning pallid, the girl's breast heaved with indignant passion. "'I can't fully explain it to you, Olga,' the speaker's tones sounded very soft and reasonable after that outbreak. "'I'm doing what many a girl would do, I feel sure, if she could find courage, let us say if she saw clearly enough. It will cause confusion, ill-feeling, possibly some unhappiness for a few weeks, for a month or two. Then Mr. Jacks will feel grateful to me, and my father will acknowledge I did right, and everybody else who knows anything about it will have found some other subject of conversation. You're fond of somebody else? It was between an exclamation and an inquiry. Bending forward, Olga awaited the reply as if her life depended upon it. "'I'm fond of no one, in that sense.' Irene's look was so fearless, her countenance so tranquil in its candour, 
that the agitated girl grew quieter. "'It isn't because you're thinking of someone else that you can't marry Mr. Jacks?' "'I am thinking simply of myself. I'm afraid to marry him. No thought of the kind you mean has entered my head. But how will it be explained to everybody?' "'By telling the truth, always the best way out of a difficulty. I shall take all the blame on myself, as I ought.' "'And you will live on here, just as usual, seeing people?' "'No, I don't think I could do that. Most likely I shall go for a time to Paris.' Olga's relief expressed itself in a sigh. "'In all this,' continued Irene, "'there's no reason why you shouldn't stay here. Everything you may be sure will be settled very quietly. My father is a reasonable man.' After a short reflection, Olga said that she could not yet make up her mind, and therewith ended their dialogue. Each was glad to go apart into privacy, to resolve anxious thoughts, and to seek rest. That her father was a reasonable man, Irene had always held a self-evident proposition. She had never, until a few days ago, conceived the possibility of a conflict between his ideas of right and her own. Domestic discord was to her mind a vulgar, no less than an unhappy state of things. Yet in the step she was now about to take, could she feel any assurance that Dr. Derwent would afford her the help of his sympathy, or even that he would refrain from censure? Reason itself was on her side, but an otherwise reasonable man might well find difficulty in acknowledging it under the circumstances. The letter to Arnold Jacks was already composed. She knew it by heart, and had but to write it out. In the course of a sleepless night this was done. In the early glimmer of a day of drizzle and fog, the letter went to post. There needed courage, yes, there needed courage, on a morning such as this, when the skyless atmosphere weighed drearily on heart and mind, when hope had become a far-off thing, banished for long months from a grey cold world, to go through with the task which Irene had set herself. Could she but have slept, it might have been easier for her. She had to front it with an aching head, with eyes that dazzled, with blood fevered into cowardice. Dr. Derwent was plainly in no mood for conversation. His voice had been seldom heard during the past week. At the breakfast-table he read his letters, glanced over the paper, exchanged a few sentences with Eustace, said a kind word to Olga, and when he rose, one saw that he hoped for a quiet morning in his laboratory. "'Could I see you for half an hour before lunch, father?' He looked into the speaker's face, surprised at something unusual in her tone, and nodded without smiling. "'When you like.' She stood at the window of the drawing-room, looking over the enclosure in the square, the dreary so-called garden, with its gaunt, leafless trees that dripped and oozed. Opposite was the long façade of characterless houses, like to that in which she lived, the steps, the door-columns, the tall, narrow windows, above them murky vapour. She moved towards the door, hesitated, looked about her with unconsciously appealing eyes. She moved forward again, and on to her purpose. "'Well,' said the doctor, who stood before a table covered with scientific apparatus, "'is it about Olga?' Oh, "'No, dear father. It's about Irene.' 
He smiled, and his face softened to tenderness. Oh, and what about Mamselle Wren? It's hard on Wren, all this worry at such a time. If it didn't sound so selfish, I should say that it had all happened for my good. I suppose we can't help seeing the world from our own little point of view. What follows on this philosophy? Something you won't like to hear, I know. But I beg you to be patient with me. When were you not? I never had such need of your patience and forbearance as now. Father, I cannot marry Arnold Jacks, and I've told him that I can't. The doctor very quietly laid down a microscopic slide. His forehead grew wrinkled, his lips came sharply together. He gazed for a moment at an open volume on a high desk at his side, and then said composedly, "'This is your affair, Irene. All I can do is to advise you to be sure of your own mind.' "'I am sure of it. Very sure of it.' Her voice trembled a little her hand resting upon the table much more. "'You say you've told Jacks?' "'I posted a letter to him this morning.' "'With the first announcement of your change of mind? How do you suppose he will reply?' "'I can't feel sure.' There was silence. The doctor took up a piece of paper and began folding and refolding it, the while he meditated. "'You know, of course,' he said at length, "'what the world thinks of this sort of behaviour. "'I know what the world is likely to say about it. "'Unfortunately, the world seldom thinks at all.' "'Granted. "'And we may also assume that no explanation offered by you or Jacks "'will affect the natural course of gossip. "'Still, you would wish to justify yourself in the eyes of your friends.' "'What I wish before all, of course, is to save Mr. Jacks from any risk of blame. "'It must be understood that I and I alone am responsible for what happens.' "'Stick to your philosophy,' said her father. "'Recognise the fact that you cannot save him from gossip and scandal, "'that people will credit as much or as little as they like of any explanation put forth. "'Moreover,' Bear in mind that this action of yours is defined by a vulgar word, which commonly injures the man more than the woman. In the world's view, it is worse to be made ridiculous than to act cruelly. A look of pain passed over the girl's face. Father, I'm not acting cruelly. It's the best thing I can do for him as well as for myself. On his side, no deep feeling is involved. And as for his vanity, I can't consider that. You have come to the conclusion that he is not sufficiently devoted to you. I couldn't have put it in those words, but that is half the truth. The other half is that I was altogether mistaken in my own feelings. Oh, father, you're accustomed to deal with life and death. Do you think that fear of gossip and desire to spare Mr. Jacks a brief mortification should compel me to surrender all that makes life worth living and to commit a sin for which there is no forgiveness? Her voice, thoroughly under control, its natural music subdued rather than emphasised, 
lent to these words a deeper meaning than they would have conveyed if uttered with vehemence they woke in her father's mind a memory of long years ago recalled the sound of another voice which had the same modulations i find no fault with you he said gravely that you can do such a thing as this proves to me how strongly you feel about it but it is a serious decision more serious perhaps than you realize things have gone so far the mere inconvenience caused will be very great i know it i have felt tempted to yield to that thought to let things slide as they say convenience i feel sure is a greater power on the whole than religion or morals or the heart it doesn't weigh with me because i have had such a revelation of myself as blinds me to everything else i dare not go on oh, don't think i claim any authority over you said the doctor at your age my only right as your father is in my affection my desire for your welfare can you tell me more plainly how this change has come about irene reflected she had seated herself and felt more confidence now that by bending her head she could escape her father's gaze i can tell you one of the things that brought me to a resolve she said i found that mr jacks was disturbed by the fear of a public scandal which would touch our name so much disturbed that on meeting me after aunt's death he could hardly conceal his gladness that she was out of the way are you sure you read him aright very sure hmm. it was natural in arnold jacks it was i had not understood that before his relief may have been as much on your account as his own i can't feel that replied irene if it were true he could have made me feel it there would have been something if only a word in the letter he wrote me about the death i didn't expect him to talk to me about the hateful things that were going on i did hope that he would give me some assurance of his indifference to their effect on people's minds yet no that's not quite true even then i'd got past hoping it already i understood him too well strange all this new light came after your engagement irene bent her head again for her cheeks were warm in a flash of intellect she wondered that a man so deep in the science of life should be so at a loss before elementary facts of emotional experience she could only answer by saying nothing dr derwent murmured his next words i too have a share in the blame of all this you father i knew the man better than you did or could i shirked a difficult duty but one reason why i did so was that i felt in doubt as to your mind the fact that you were my daughter didn't alter the fact that you were a woman and i could not have any assurance that i understood you if there had been a question of his life his intellectual powers or his views i would have said freely just what i thought but there was no need no objection rose on that score you saw the man from that point of view much as i did only with a little more sympathy in other respects i trusted to what we call women's instinct women's perceptiveness 
to me he did not seem your natural mate but then i saw with man's eyes i was afraid of meddling obtusely don't reproach yourself father the knowledge i have gained could only have come to me in one way of course he will turn to me in appeal against you if so it will be one more proof of how rightly i am acting the doctor smiled all but laughed considering how very decent a fellow he is your mood seems severe irene well you have made up your mind it's an affair of no small gravity and we must get through it as best we can i have no doubt whatever it's worse for you than for anyone else concerned it's so bad for me father that when i have gone through it i shall be at the end of my strength i shall run away from the after consequences what do you mean i shall accept mrs borisoff's invitation and go to paris it's deserting you but dr derwent wore a doubtful look he pondered and began to pace the floor hmm, we must think about that though her own mind was quite made up irene did not see fit to say more at this juncture she rose her father continued moving hither and thither his hands behind his back seemingly oblivious of her presence to him the trouble seemed only just beginning and he was not at all sure what the end would be jacks will come this evening i suppose he threw out as irene approached the door perhaps this afternoon he looked at her with sympathy with apprehension irene endeavouring to smile in reply passed from his view olga had gone out merely saying that she wished to see a friend and that she might not be back to luncheon she did not return father and daughter were alone together at the meal contrary to irene's expectation the doctor had become almost cheerful he made one or two quiet jokes in the old way of course on any subject but that which filled their minds and his behaviour was marked with an unusual gentleness irene was so moved by grateful feeling that now and then she could not trust her voice let me remind you he said observing her lack of appetite that an ill-nourished brain can't be depended upon for sanity of argument it aches a little she replied quietly i was afraid so what if you rest to-day and let me postpone for you that interview hmm? the suggestion was dreadful she put it quickly aside she hoped with all her strength that arnold jacks would have received the letter already and that he would come to see her this afternoon to pass another night with her suspense would be a strain scarce endurable fog still hung about the streets shifting changing its density but never allowing a glimpse of sky alone in the drawing-room irene longed for the end of so-called day that she might shut out that spirit-crushing blotch of bare trees and ugly houses she thought of a sudden how much harder we make life than it need be by dwelling amid scenes that disgust in air that lowers vitality there fell on her a mood of marvelling at the aims and the satisfactions of mankind this hideous oblong known as bryanston square how did it come to seem a desirable place of abode nay how was it for a moment tolerable to reasoning men and women 
this whole london now gasping in foul vapours that half obscured half emphasised its inexpressible monstrosity its inconceivable abominations by what blighting of iron soul did a nation come to accept it as their world-shown pride their supreme city she was lost in a truth-perceiving dream habit and association dropped away things declared themselves in their actuality her mind whirled under the sense of human folly helplessness endurance irene a cry escaped her she started at the sound of her name as if terrified arnold jacks had entered the room and drawn near to her while she was deep in reverie i am sorry to have alarmed you he added smiling tolerantly with embarrassment which was almost shame for she despised womanish nervousness irene turned toward the fireplace where chairs invited them let us sit down and talk she said in a softened voice i'm so grateful to you for coming at once End of chapter 26